This is the smell of the leftover tuna fish sandwich you left in your lunchbox over the weekend in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! Blech! And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag. Hefty, hefty, hefty! Ah, smell the difference? Hefty Ultra Strong has Arm & Hammer with continuous odor control, so no matter what's inside your trash. Hmm. You can stay one step ahead of Stinky. And for bigger jobs, try the superior strength of Hefty Large Black Bags. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what Hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Extreme Rules post show, the night of the ultimate rope break. Hello, way. The ultimate rope break. Okay. Interesting. I suppose that's what you would call this. How you doing, John? I'm doing I'm doing fantastic. I'm doing good. All right. Cool. Did you have a nice Sunday? I did because um I <laughs> oh, got yeah, to never mind. Well, I got to watch the G one and then I got to talk about it with you uh as we just uh did a G one post show earlier today. That is right. You can uh, go catch that G one show that we put up today. We have done multiple G1 shows over the last few days, five in total. So they can all be found up at postwrestlingcafe.com. And yeah. What else is going on? Yeah, we've got a live show, or sorry, we've got G1 post shows after every single uh, edition of the show. Uh, and we are going to probably do some news in some of these as well. But also coming up this week is Ask Away and the latest MCU Later, episode correct. eight. Uh, but the big thing I think this coming this week is the return of the British Wrestling Experiences draft, or, or what the Europeans called uh, transfers. The transfer yeah. window. The world the, transfer window. The the world transfer window. Yeah, I'll be taking part along with Andrew Thompson, my nemesis, Kate from Montreal, uh, Martin, Benno, of course, and the return of Jamesy. Boy, I'm excited for Jamesy. I won't lie. I'm rooting for Jamesy. All right. Well, we'll see what happens. But that's dropping this Thursday. Yes. And of course, uh, Friday begins a whole new month. So for those wanting to stick on board, uh, that will be the night of the, f- the first night of the draft as we will be live Friday night for all cafe members. The schedule will be up on Monday, so you can check all of that out. But a lot of great stuff this week. We will be doing G1 shows on Thursday, Friday, and Sunday over the next week. Yes. As they just go wild with their G1 schedule. But WWE went wild tonight with the Extreme Rules card. Are you ready to dive into tonight's offering? Let's do it. Well, the pre-show. Man, it was a, a packed house at the kickoff panel. Kayla Braxton, Kevin Patrick, Booker, JBL... Peter Rosenberg, Sonia Deville. Oh man, they—I mean, that's a big desk. You got to see it. You know, uh, they, they got a lot of use out of that desk tonight. And uh, yeah, this was a five-person panel. I mean, you can never have enough voices. Um, break, 
breaking down six-person panel. I mean, you can never have enough voices breaking down um, in kayfabe terms, storylines. Yes. So the first half of the kickoff show, the only thing of note was backstage AJ Styles and Omos uh, asking who cares about the New Day when the New Day showed up and said, you guys aren't even on the show tonight, which was kind of ironic because neither was the New Day, but they got into a brawl with Bobby Lashley getting involved and a six-man tag was just magically made and added to the show that we would get later tonight. So glad that, glad everyone showed up and AJ and Omos dressed to compete. Everyone was ready. Always show up at a pay-per-view, even if you're not booked. Yeah, I mean, they needed some reason to, to you know, give us this match, I suppose. Street Profits were showing earlier in the day, Montez Ford being very serious that he has no intentions of leaving without the tag titles tonight, and he just wants to make sure that Angelo Dawkins feels the same way. And they're definitely, I think, I think that your suggestion about the Street Profits, could they be going their separate ways? I think they're definitely playing with that theory for this, for the upcoming week. Yeah, I mean, we know Dawkins had a wedding to go to, supposedly, on Friday, but... Um... Which was brought up many times. It was like his storyline is, listen, this wrestling thing's great, but I got a social life. Well, I mean, hey, I, as, as somebody who just had a wedding, I, I, I can respect that, certainly. Um, but, you know, the 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 status that um, Montez Ford had, you know, throughout Friday's episode certainly felt like it was a precursor to something bigger or could have been. So with the draft looming, it's very possible. The kickoff match was Carmella and Liv Morgan with I, I thought the crowd was like fairly into this, especially Liv Morgan, who I think most would agree, I think is much more over than the push and focus that she receives. I thought it was a nice match that they were having. There were chants for let's go Morgan. Uh, you got a few near falls in here and it was kind of based around Liv Morgan trying to disfigure Carmella's face. And that was the focus. Yeah, started off with a promo from Carmella, kind of doing her typical, you know, I'm very beautiful thing, um, which is I'm just hot ab- and you're not. Yeah, which is really just absurd because it's it's Liv Morgan that she's saying all this to. But I mean, that's that's the character. She's delusional, right? Uh, but yeah, puts the target on her face throughout the match. So Carmella avoided getting sent into the turnbuckle, but got her face smashed into the announcer's desk and then hit with oblivion. Off the middle rope, Liv Morgan got the win. Crowd popped for the finish. Seven minutes and 53 seconds. I thought it was like a a, feist, uh, a nice, fine match that the two had. And the crowd seemed into it as well, being it was the first match out. But I think they were also into Liv Morgan in this one, too. And Carmella played a fine heel. Yeah, I totally agree. I thought they both did well. You know, they kept up a pretty fast pace with a lot of material in this match that was all pretty decently executed. And, uh, you know, it's a storyline that that is very old school and almost like very simple, almost too simple for maybe modern taste. But this audience reacted really well to it and Liv got a great reaction. Yes, the heel is hot. The baby face is going to make her not be hot. Yeah. And then Sarah Schreiber interviewed Paul Heyman and asked if Roman is taking Finn Balor more seriously now after SmackDown. Heyman calls it the stupidest question he has ever been asked in (laughs) his career. The stupidest. I bet you he's been asked some really stupid questions in his time. Probably mostly from um, this backstage setting. Yeah. And anyway, he just uh, cut a promo on Sarah Schreiber and then we ended the kickoff show and went right on to the main card, kicking things off, the six-man tag with the New Day 
against Bobby Lashley, AJ Styles, and Omos. Well, I think the I think the kickoff was the crazy audio issues these people on Peacock apparently were having tonight. Not me. Yeah, not us. We we of course watch the show in Canada on the WWE Network still. So, but apparently people in in uh, watching on Peacock were getting French and Spanish all at the same time. With that sounds English. awesome. I mean, that'd be amusing tri- for like thirty seconds, and then it'd be a little aggravating. You well, know, if you're trilingual, yeah, I'm sure you know you get multiple perspectives at at the same time. But um, I think it'd be a bit of a headache. Yeah, it. I, I saw that complaint, and it sounded like those that are on like the ad, uh, the the ad supported portion of Peacock that were just obliterated with ads on this show. Really? Wow. Okay. Yeah. Because um, I I'm I haven't experienced that yet, so I don't exactly know where the ads. Are inserted. Well, you know what? Everyone's coming down on the WWE network. I'm going to come to its defense here, at least here in Canada, because you know what? There were several times during this show that I had to leave the room. And when I came back, it's crazy. They have this function where you can rewind and you can go back as long as you want. You can even go back multiple hours on the live feed. You can go back, you can go forth. There's a rewind. There's a fast forward function as well. This is very novel when it comes to Canadian sports streaming services. And my update, uh, Glitch, still there. Not looking forward to Raw Monday night. Yeah, for people who missed um, our SmackDown review, John, I mean, I guess I I haven't experienced it myself yet, but um, something up with the Sportsnet web app. So you might get a pretty frustrated John Pollock. Of the three that I have access to wrestling-wise, I mean, WWE Network, it's outperforming TSN and Sportsnet in my category. So the New Day, they used the uh, the Unicorn Stampede on Lashley. They had Kofi Kingston in this for quite some time and built up to uh, Big E being tagged in. I mean, him and Lashley were kind of the, the centerpieces of the match. A um, lot of selling from, from Kofi Kingston. He slid off Lashley's shoulders to make the tag to Woods, who had a big comeback uh, until he got dropped with a power slam on a tilt-a-whirl attempt. Big E is back. He's hitting multiple belly-to-belly suplexes as AJ flew all over the ring. And Big E had to... uh, Styles went into the corner, like, with too much momentum, that dreaded word in WWE. And Big E had to, like, adjust to hit the Uranagi out of the corner to save AJ from just uh, going right over the top. Styles then was hit with a foot stomp off the shoulders of Big E. Lashley is in there for the save. Uh, Omos was getting involved here as well, including uh, swatting down Kingston, who got sent to the floor by Big E. And then as Lashley prepared to spear Big E, Styles tags himself in. This upsets Lashley. Styles goes for a springboard. Lashley passively aggressively tags himself in. Lashley misses the spear to Big E, spearing AJ, and then Lashley eats the big ending. Big E pins Bobby Lashley in 18 minutes and 14 seconds. Now, with what was going to happen throughout this, uh, I have no idea why the screw-up couldn't result in AJ have taken taking the pin here, but it was Lashley getting pinned yet again this week. I mean, I think the reason is because they wanted... I mean, They can't win, John, because, I mean, coming off of Monday, a lot of people are complaining, why didn't Bobby Lashley win? Why didn't he pin... Uh, or, or, sorry, why didn't, why didn't Big E win? You know, why didn't he pin Lashley? Like... And they gave it to you here. I thought it was a great thing that they had Big E pin Lashley. It made Big E look tremendous. And, you know, it, it, this was a, t- a multi-man match setting where um, you don't give away that conclusion for, like, a proper one-on-one match. I thought it nicely set it up and made Big E look great. 
So, so you're suggesting what? I'm it, suggesting it, why is Bobby Lashley getting this title rematch tomorrow after being pinned by this guy twice? Yeah, that part of it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You know, like in WWE, they they definitely don't care about wins and losses. They care about who makes the challenge on TV and who gets pissed off enough, you know, to to just grant the match. But as far as to me, like I think it was more important to continue to draw the association bet- between Big E and Bobby Lashley. And Bobby Lashley looked tremendous throughout the entire match. I think his presence is a as a monster. Really, a, a, like now is I love him with MVP. But, like, these past few weeks without MVP, he feels even like a bigger monster. And I think part of that is because he's been speaking on his own a lot more. And he sounds really comfortable speaking on his own a lot. But in ring here, he was incredibly intense. And I think giving Big E the big win over this monster at the end did a whole lot to help him. So I, I, I agree with all of that. I just think that you could have done the miscommunication. And tomorrow should be that moment. I don't think anyone's advocating for Lashley to win tomorrow. Let him look. Let the the pin of Lashley be of significance tomorrow. Um. Yeah. Well, we don't know what the ending is going to be tomorrow. You know, I. I. You might not get Lashley getting pinned. There could um, be. There could be a malfunction with the ring. Rings can break. Yeah, I'm thinking they'll reinforce the ring after today. But I actually, you know, like when this show started, I was like, I don't know if I need another match. You know, added to this thing. But I, watching it, I was really glad because this match was excellent. You know, everybody in here, I thought, played a very good, like, played their role really effectively. The New Day was fantastic together uh, in a trio setting. Great building to hot tags between Woods and Big E. And Big E just feels so incredibly hot as a babyface. Even Almas, he was given a very minor role, but his presence, I think, as a large man was so well protected. And, and he did stand out by the end of it. Um, and I like the ending. You know, you might disagree. I'm sure some other people will disagree, too. But I thought it, it worked for what they were setting up. I liked the match a lot. I thought it was like a really good six-man. We even saw Omos deliver a gourd buster, which is way above his uh, difficulty level that we have been seeing of late. I just, uh, I would have gone about things a different way of where we're going with this title match tomorrow. But nonetheless, uh, it was a match the crowd was into, and it was a fun opener. 18 minutes worth, and it was a strong way to start the pay-per-view. Yeah, I really don't mind if they, like, you know, for these B-shows especially... Like, this is the New Japan formula. You give us, like, you know, the undercard matches with the competitors on opposing sides, and then you use that to build towards whatever big shows you... I mean, this, to me, was... I, I had no issue with building to the title match on TV. TV yeah. is a bigger focus for the totally. company at the moment. That's fine. This Putting Big E and Lashley, throwing it onto this show, did not need it. It was so, not promoted as such. Save it. Pay-per-view is still important, but they have multiple titles. They have multiple, uh, you know, major events that they could spread around. There's really no sense in just putting Bobby Lashley versus Biggie on this for nothing. When you can, you know, peak for this with with Balor and Reigns, I suppose, and then peak for TV with another match. The Usos versus the Street Profits for the SmackDown Tag Team Championship. Ford was in, uh, he had his ribs taped up from Friday's match with Roman Reigns. So sold the ribs throughout this and had the tape torn off. Uh, I thought Montez Ford did a great job in this match. I thought this was a significantly better spotlight for him than what he had on Friday with Roman Reigns. I thought he stood out in a much more prominent light in in this uh, tag match. Uh, After Ford makes his way to the corner, Dawkins is in. He hit the anointment onto Jay, and then Ford landed on the knees of Jay going for from the heavens, and 
Then Ford is too injured to climb up to the top as Jay pops off Dawkins' shoulders. Jimmy hit the Uso splash. Dawkins kicked out from that. The Usos then threw Dawkins into the guardrail. Ford did this incredible dive over the corner post, taking out both Usos, hit from the heavens, but Jimmy broke up the cover, saving Jay. Dawkins saves Ford, eats a double super kick, and that was the end of Dawkins as the Usos landed a double super kick and Ford fell to the numbers game with a double Uso splash and Jimmy pinning Ford in 13 minutes and 45 seconds. And I, to the point we were making earlier, I think the promo from Montez Ford, this was a very different delivery from Ford. He wasn't singing. He wasn't being lighthearted. He was being very serious and focused. And we've got the story that Dawkins wasn't there Friday and at the ending here, Dawkins, even though he sacrificed himself, wasn't there to help Ford. And I think it gives you some ammunition for Montez Ford as well. Yeah, um, you know, there is a definitely a finality to the ending of this one that made you wonder if this was you know, going to be at the end of this feud and may, possibly maybe even the end of, of the profits. Who knows? I mean, heading into the draft, they always tease, oh, could this team break up? Could this team break up? And I think they do usually deliver on at least one or two of those, and it could be the Street Profits here. But, you know, uh, Ford continues to really stand out in all of these. You know, the rib injury I thought made for a pretty compelling story throughout this match. And his, you know, his aerial offense I thought was structured also really well in the body of, of this match, and he came out of it looking like a bigger star. Like, the big question is, if they do break up, like, what's going to happen with Dawkins? I really do think he is overlooked often in the supporting role in this tag team because he's often tremendous too but um you know it, it, it's going to take a repackaging of some sort and I, and I think for him to really gain the attention that that ford has and i i i think they've i think they've kind of reached their ceiling as a tag team what do you think in this company because the ceiling is maybe not that high is, is my point as a for tag teams here i i think they I think that there is more mileage with the two if they were like, I think they they've seen them in this role. And I just don't think they have like, give me like that defining um, storyline that this tag team has had. Like they've been in all these different programs of matches and such. Um, I don't think they've really explored the characters. And I think that's why maybe you have questions about Angelo Dawkins on television. We haven't seen a whole lot out of, Angelo Dawkins personality and that's what a potential breakup is going to force them to explore we knew from day one Montez Ford was going to be the one pegged for big things Dawkins it'll be a bonus if he can catch on with something but that that's what he is going to have to shoulder coming out of this and hopefully um, the the idea of a breakup is not just well we see Ford as the star and nothing for Dawkins like hopefully there is some some value in him and now watch they don't even break them up but yeah. I think they they have kind of reached that point where it's how much longer are we going to go with this versus, you know, pulling the trigger on someone like Montez Ford that has now been on the main roster for over two years. And where are we going with him? I mean, several things can happen. They can not break up and then Dawkins or one of the somebody could still turn on the other person, even though they're on the same brand because they have they're going to work together if they're going to do a breakup story. Or they can break up and both stay baby faces just on different shows, like what you know Biggie and the New Day have have done over the past year. Um, what was the thing with Gable and Otis, if you remember, John? You know, sometimes you're just uh, you're in the back; it's crowded, and um, you just uh, you walk past each other. I'm I could see 
like they face Otis and Gable maybe this week on SmackDown, and that's when you do do the breakup, or that's or then they get drafted, and that's like their last match. You could well, do. it was the Usos who who walked into Gable and Otis on on SmackDown. Oh, sorry, I'm t- I'm mistaking it with the with the Prophets. Um, well, then maybe Gable and Otis are going to be next for the Usos in a in a babyface role because the Usos are moving on from this. They need. I teams. guess so. It just felt like a super weird time to just tease it. You know, uh, like. What it imagine. if they follow up on it, then fine. That's they they just you know introduce them and that's that's next for them. And right. I guess that was Gable and Otis's babyface turn as well, on top of it. Yeah, who knows? Charlotte Flair without Charlie versus Alexa Bliss with Lily for the Raw Women's Championship. A warning to any young listeners we are going to be uh covering a live death on a pay per view. Lily was placed in the corner to watch this. Uh, Bliss got a pretty good reaction being here in her hometown of Columbus. And the match uh, the match was going uh, fine. Flair attempted a moonsault off the top, landed on her feet, did the Andrade follow-up with the standing moonsault landing. And then at one point she hit natural selection, and Alexa like did not register it. And it did not feel like this was part of like the supernatural aspect of Alexa. It was just like the match continued with no acknowledgement of this natural selection. It was a little odd. Flair tried another moonsault off the top. Bliss got her feet up and hit a big near fall with a code red. Uh, The twisted Bliss misses off the top. Bliss then counters the figure four with an inside cradle and connects with a DDT. Flair gets her foot on the rope. And then Alexa gets sent into the post in the corner. This time Flair hits natural selection which keeps Alexa down. I, I think the earlier natural selection was supposed to be Alexa evading it. And it, it happened really not. quick. Yeah. Well, this match went 11 minutes, 26 seconds. Charlotte Flair retains the championship. Uh, first off, your thoughts on the match before we get to the uh, fireworks after. I thought the match was going really well. You know, I, I didn't take like the, the earlier natural selection to be a botch. I thought I thought it was just her way of, of evading to go to her comeback. But... It ended up being a classic Alexa Bliss babyface match. Throughout the body of the match, there really was no hocus pocus at all, which is, I think, a departure from a lot of the matches that we've seen her and Bray Wyatt do uh, over the course of the past year. Um, And as a result, I thought it it was some really good action and that this crowd really got behind. Um, But the end was like, you know, that's where you had to deal with, right? I don't even have as much of an issue with the doll being a focal point as I think my issue is more so the lack of creativity and cleverness in the way that they got there. It was simply Charlotte tossing the doll from the corner into her leading to the big boot and then natural selection, which is like a weak finish of hers, her secondary finish for the finish. So I I, I thought that was pretty weak, but I mean, focus had to be put on the doll. I just wish they got there in a more clever way. Would this qualify in the top 10 for the WWE.com list of hometown stars uh, coming up short? Um, this wasn't too bad. Probably not. I mean, uh, you know, losing clean in your hometown. You could have gotten a lot. You could have been treated much worse. Oh, there are far more notable hometown embarrassments than this. Yeah. Flair takes Lily and rips the doll apart. Bliss jumps Charlotte. And then Charlotte fights off Alexa, like just leaves her laying over the announcer's desk. I mean, Charlotte, just dominant, walks out, and then Bliss is standing on the desk looking uh, frightening and screams. And 
She went into the ring and took the scattered parts of Lily and she began crying. This crowd <laughs> starts chanting, thank you, Lily. And I, I thought this was the best chant of the night. <laughs> thank you, Lily. And Alexa Bliss started foaming at the mouth, which I guess everybody saw the, uh, the tricks of the trade here to that. Uh, this was not, she was not actually foaming at the mouth. There actually was a tablet that assisted in this foaming way. And this oh. was uncovered on Twitter. Yeah, but it was, it was just poorly done. You know, like you don't, you shouldn't go to a close up of somebody who's, well, I mean, she's supposed to be foaming at the mouth, but I guess it wasn't foaming well enough. Or like she, the problem was she was screaming as the tablet was still in there. So her mouth was wide open as you could see the Tums on her tongue. Who was the road agent for this? Um, Booking a screaming spot when we've got uh, something hidden yeah. in her mouth? Come on. Well, listen, this is, it's not just pro wrestling at this point, especially when you're talking about a character like this. It is a, it's theater. And, you know, when you're, and it's live theater for TV. So you have to be very conscious of these close-ups. And uh, this just kind of killed the illusion, unfortunately. I mean, if if the doll stuff didn't kill the illusion enough. A lot you. of things were killed during the, these couple of minutes. Uh, yeah. And I guess tomorrow we will get, obviously there's going to be an angle. Well, this was our angle, but the follow-up, uh, do you still see Charlotte being attached to this? Like she was the one responsible for this Lily stuff. I don't get the sense that they're necessarily moving away from this. Although it does feel like they're trying to kind of set Alexa back into a, a heel spotlight from this after being the babyface for this program. It's hard for me to read. Like, could this be her? It could be anything. Just getting rid of the character and just going back to Alexa Bliss. I don't know. But I mean, the draft represents a fresh start to a lot of people. She could very well move shows and, you know, join what's going on on SmackDown. I don't so. see them dropping this character. I see them. I saw this as like just reinforcing the, the character and going even darker with this. We'll see. Paul Heyman's on the phone. Caleb Braxton is eavesdropping and Heyman would not reveal if he was talking to Brock Lesnar and who cares if he was, he's got to cover all these bases before the draft. And then the Usos walk by Heyman left with them. United States championship, Damian Priest, Jeff Hardy and Sheamus. And the announcers noted that Jeff Hardy looks at Damian Priest as a younger version of himself. This being a 44-year-old Jeff Hardy and 39-year-old Damian Priest, whose birthday was on Sunday. They are five years apart, and we're talking like these are two generations coming together in this match. They, I do not think they want to put a spotlight on Damian Priest's age because they are marketing him as like young 20s when he is almost 40. Yeah, yeah. Um, technically still right. Five years, I guess. They briefly referenced last year's a feud when Sheamus tortured Jeff Hardy over his past. That's quite a summary. It happened, yeah. Hardy hit a whisper in the wind to both men. Sheamus's mask came off, and you could see his his nose was all taped up. Um, so, Priest, so, so was his nose legitimately like rebroken on Monday? I don't know if it was rebroken, um, but it was it was bloody last week. Hmm. I loved as well in this that Jeff Hardy. Most of his offense with Sheamus was punching him in this mask. Oh, yeah. After Ricochet, like, fell to his doom from this mask and diving into it. But punches. Right. I guess Jeff Hardy has great power in his hands. He can no. absorb a lot. Masks work in uh, special ways. 
I guess so, depending on how you've laid out a match. <laughs> um, the crowd was really into this. Like, um, you know, they had it, it was like your WWE style of three way one's out, the other two go at it, and then you do your different save spots. Um, th- there was a there was a bunch of stumbling around in the middle of this when Jeff Hardy tried to counter the reckoning for a twist of fate and they just fell down and the announcers were really on top. It's like, he's going for a dragon sleeper, you know, from Jeff Hardy's repertoire, the dragon sleeper. Uh, they tried to cover for it. Hardy got up, hit the move. Uh, Sheamus, who was the star of this match, knocks Hardy off the top and then he climbs to the top and he does Jeff Hardy's mannerisms this was this was the best. This and the Lily chant were two of my favorite parts of the show. It was great. Yeah, he was, uh, was he was doing like was... the what, what what's Jeff Hardy's thing? Like he does like his head bobbing stuff. Um yeah, you know, his, like, like hip dance. You know, what a what a 44-year-old does when he's just hanging out listening to Peroxwigen. Yes. Priest caught him with a choke slam off the top that was broken up by a swanton bomb. Crowd is chanting for Jeff. Priest came off the rope and was blasted with a knee by Sheamus. This led to a huge near fall by Jeff Hardy after he knocked Sheamus down. Sheamus hits Hardy with a brogue kick, but then Damian rolls him up with a schoolboy in 13 minutes and 20 seconds as Damian Priest escapes. And this was a finish that screamed rematches. Lots of rematches. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no doubt. You know, probably exactly this tomorrow night on Raw. Um, and it's for that reason that I think my interest going into this, even just seeing this on screen, didn't really make this feel special at all. I get this match every single week on Raw. And, you know, the difference I will say tonight is that Columbus was a great crowd. They were they were pretty into things, like at varying yeah. degrees. Uh, Jeff Hardy was very over on this show, and that's very telling given... I wouldn't say he's an unpushed star, but certainly he's not a featured star on the show, but very mm-hmm. popular with this crowd. And yeah, I thought this crowd, it was a pretty sizable crowd and they were, they were into this show. Like there weren't, they were into say any, anything that they were checked out on. They were into everything. And I thought the action throughout the show was really good, but you know, not all crowds are going to respond, even if the action in the ring is great, but Columbus definitely did. And uh, yeah, like Jeff Hardy was definitely the standout star here. So much so that like they gave him a standing ovation on camera afterwards. Yeah, Damian which... Priest was like putting him over after Jeff had to do the, the bow and arrow deal. Um, yeah. Well, they, I mean, he stole, somebody stole his dance. He's going to steal another person's dance, right? Uh, yeah, the crowd really wanted Jeff Hardy to win, but unfortunately, Damien Priest is the project. Um, but I thought they, you know, managed to, I suppose, satisfy the crowd enough with that happy ending with the both of them standing in the ring. Father and son. <laughs> yes. Biggie responded to Lashley, who had cut a promo on Biggie earlier in the night, saying he hides behind the new day, challenged him to a match, and Biggie accepted it and said, Lashley's ass better be ready. And this is going to start the show off. They're they're really hitting it hard for people to tune in right off the top for the fir- build up that first hour before the football game starts. And this will be pretty much right at the beginning of Raw on Monday night, which is in Cincinnati, which is interesting because that's a market that AEW just ran a few weeks back. Did mm. very well there. Becky Lynch, Bianca Belair for the SmackDown Women's Championship. All credit to Becky Lynch. She tried so hard in this match. Like, her heel mannerisms were tremendous, I thought. This crowd did not care because they were going to cheer for both of them. It wasn't like they took a pro-Becky, anti-Bianca Belair stance. 
They were into both of them, but they were not booing Becky. And it did not matter what she tried or trying to be like the pouty face or she was doing a lot of great work, I thought, just visually. But this crowd, they they love Becky. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they see her as a superstar. And I think like her act is so over the top as a heel that like it's i mean it just comes across as performance rather than somebody you could legitimately hate which they couldn't anyway because her actions are have not been heelish enough in the short time she's been here for the audience to truly turn on her um but nonetheless i think this audience was really wanting wanting to see a bianca Belair championship win becky started the same way from SummerSlam, holding out her hand but bianca would not take the bait crowd is chanting for both women going back and forth uh, there were early attempts at the KOD and the Disarmor. Uh, Belair looked great in this. She did a delayed vertical suplex. It was just, th- these two, they just had a really nice match together. Becky they've applied. Been, they've been working together on the uh, UK tour. That's right. Um, Becky applied the Disarmor and B- Belair was able to get to the rope. Um, Becky came off the middle rope with a leg drop. And then Becky countered a vertical suplex and fought for the armbar. Belair escaped that. And then goes for the Disarmor once again, drags Belair away from the rope. Belair powers her up for the KOD when Sasha Banks runs in for the disqualification at 17 minutes and 21 seconds. Uh, They were having a really strong match. And I thought there would be a lot of negativity towards this finish. But I I was not uh, focused on people's reactions. But what I saw seemed to be that this was not met with all that uh, negativity that they did the DQ. I think people were happy that they reintroduced Sasha and it feels like this is at best. It's a three-way program or somebody is moving shows. Seems like, I mean, they've established the three-way after in this post-match angle. They so did they the have attack to, on, yeah, Sasha they attacked have both. To pay, so I think they'll keep them all together. They'll at least have to pay them, pay that off somehow, you know, um, even after maybe one of these people gets drafted to another show. But the finish, I think, yeah, to some it would be unsatisfying, but uh, you're telling me the majority d- doesn't seem to care. And I I, I include me in one, as one of those because I, I felt this program was going to continue past this B show anyway and not really culminate here. Um, and I think considering all that, like the most we could have hoped for was number one, a killer match, which this absolutely was. And then some element of surprise to conclude the finish. And I thought the Sasha return was a big enough surprise to satisfy people. As far as the match goes, I mean, you know, this really was Becky's first TV match. I mean, we know that they, she's been doing the house shows. But if there's any doubt about what condition she's in after giving birth, like, she looked as good as ever here. Maybe even a little bit better than she was before because she's added some offense to her repertoire. Uh, but the star of this was to me, Bianca Belair, she's so smooth in her sequences. Crowd is completely behind her, and I'm thinking wanting to see her win that championship again. So, you know, we we we're, we're very critical of perhaps the way they got there, but um, they want to see Bianca Belair beat Becky Lynch, in my opinion. This is one where I think it's the larger picture that puts WWE into a corner on some of these. I think there is this fear of beating people that leads to finishes like this. And part of that, I think, is that had they done a clean finish and Becky retained, I think you would have had people upset because we always talk about the follow-up and that it usually does not does not meet people's satisfaction, that they will beat people 
And they never get that big moment at, at the end of things. Whereas we can compare and go up and down that all out card. You can beat baby faces clean. You can beat heels clean. And in some cases, they come out stronger. And that's something that you're not going to just change overnight where they could go out and have this fantastic match. I think if you did a clean finish, I think there's still internally, there's probably that that paranoia of not wanting to beat either side. Like, that's what this was. Well, I will say one of the differences, I think, in the two booking styles is, I mean, AEW, if they beat somebody, if let's say if they beat a Jungle Boy or Darby Allen, they're done with that program for the most part. They're not immediately going back to that rematch. WWE will do, re- like, the match right after on the next month, maybe even on the next TV show. So for that reason, I think they're probably a lot a lot less willing to, for instance, in this in this case, have Bianca Belair take a pinfall, even if, if it does come come from distraction. They number one want to keep her strong, and they probably just want to, go, you know, run this back or or do it with Sasha Banks in, in, involved. To so you have to still make maintain her as a competitor. Yeah, and I mean afterwards they had they had at first like teased like an alliance with Sasha and Becky, and then Sasha attacked her, and it was just everyone attacking each other, which is going to make. For interesting segments, if it is all three involved, because you're taking two heels and the audience is not necessarily taking to Becky as a babyface. And if Sasha is taking that lead role as the heel, it's almost giving like the open invitation to cheer Becky wildly and how she comes out of this program if it's all three of them together. Like we know we have Bianca Belair in the babyface role, Sasha is the heel, and Becky is sort of in the middle there. I think they will do enough to assure that the sole babyface focus will be Bianca Belair in the match. I mean, and they were pretty successful, I thought, tonight. So I don't I don't see them having any issue in the, in a three way. Like they'll probably do something of having Bianca and Becky or sorry, Bianca. Sorry, Sasha and a lot of names here. Sasha and Becky working together against Bianca, something like that. Um, what, what do you think it'll happen if they do do a three way? Because do, do you see them having, I mean, they'll probably be a crown jewel. Yeah. Right? Yeah, you could do that. I mean, it's it's tough because you've got the, the crown jewel show. And I, I I think, honestly, like you're going to put a lot of these matches on television. Like Survivor mm-hmm. Series is a long time away. And if they go with the usual format, like that doesn't lend itself to brand specific storylines because you're doing the inter the interbrand stuff for for those shows. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we should even get out of the habit of saying like, "Oh, when are they going to do this big show?" and and always go, talking about about the pay per views because Monday and Friday are big shows, especially those are the big shows yeah. at the moment, and mm-hmm. they they are going to put big matches on TV. I think most weeks. So that's how that one ended, and it takes us to the main event: Extreme Rules match between Roman Reigns and the Demon Finn Balor for the Universal Championship. I love the entrance of Balor but more so for the shots of Roman Reigns looking so uninterested when they would cut to him as Balor is doing this elaborate entrance. And he just looked so bored watching this guy. <laughs> I thought it was um, nice of the the demon to take the time to paint his last name on the back of his shoulders. That takes remarkable hand-eye coordination. Um, oh, he probably conjured it up. You know, wore a but, kilt. Um, yeah. I, 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 sure. It's probably a really minor thing, but I just, I, I, I'm not really into the idea of like these kind of like netherworldly creatures having their names on their bodies. Like, I really don't think like Jason. How would you know this is Finn Balor then? <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't. You're right. But I, I, I just don't, don't see Jason having like 
Jason written on his mask or I don't know Pinhead having Pinhead written on his back you know well I have seen enough fighters that get their last name tattooed on their backs that it's more common than you would think uh, sure I guess so so the demon is narcissistic do you have Ting written on your back just in case oh you never see my back on camera for a reason so everyone's known Reigns goes for the first weapon. He takes out a kendo stick. But ladies and gentlemen, Finn Balor has the four kendo sticks wrapped together. And the reaction this bundle of kendo sticks received, you would have thought he brought out a, a, a grenade. Yeah, the, the, a kendo stick bundle. I mean, what's better than one kendo, kendo stick? Four. Four. Well, what's better than four? I mean, Roman should have brought out, brought out his bundle of eight kendo sticks. Roman Reigns was the best during this match. He yells at the fans, you're a bunch of dumbasses. No tables. No tables. And they were so upset. And then when Reigns gets uh, attacked, uh, Balor brings out the table. The pop was that much louder because Reigns had denied them of this gift. And Balor was providing it for them. I I thought that was great. Then the two fight into the crowd. And in preparation for going out into the crowd, Roman Reigns masks up. Yeah, he asked Paul Heyman to hand him a mask. Pat McAfee explained he does not want to breathe the air of these people in Columbus. Um, I thought this was like the most unique thing of the entire match. It was very fascinating. It was the first time we've seen something like this happen, uh, at least on a WWE show. And I think indicates to you how serious Roman takes this pandemic. Um, and they, they will not yeah. shine a light on this. I, I thought this was like, uh, like a this baby just, face moment. Uh, it really was, Roman. but just from the perception, it was like, <laughs> I don't know if you're necessarily going to bestow such faith in WWE when it comes to certain elements, but I certainly do with this guy. And I thought that, you know, this very easily could have been, oh God, we we can't be doing this kind of thing. Just cut out the brawl spot into the crowd. But they went ahead with it and did this. And listen, this is a very superficial company when it comes to how everybody looks and appears. And they had to call attention to it. They could not ignore it. I just found it really interesting that... This was obviously Reigns being adamant about doing this and good for him to do so. Oh, he's he's I mean, I'm sure like if there are many performers who they probably would have allowed. But I mean, Roman, especially if I would imagine this was his request. And if he demands it, you you can't say no. And does does anybody like look at the match any differently? No, not not we all recognize that this is a performance. Now, it would be interesting if the demon also wore a mask as he went to the crowd. Like, how would they explain that? I wonder. The, the demon you know? is less concerned about your vaccination status in Columbus. Yeah, yeah, they have a great immunization in uh in, in the uh in wherever the demon's from. So they brawl through the the kickoff panel area, and then they uh, make their way back to the ring. And Balor gets put through a table. He stops a spear with a kick, sling blade, but then Reigns comes back with a spear. Balor kicks out, but he has now turned the tables because when he kicks out, he forearms Reigns in the balls. And they showed the replay of Reigns selling this. It was tremendous. I mean, it looked like this guy was about to vomit from this shot. 
Balor hit a beautiful Topecon hero and the coup de grace when the Usos yank Balor to the floor, double super kick, but Balor fights off both of them, including Jay going through the announcer's desk. Balor turns around and Rain spears him through the timekeeper's area. The lights start to flicker and everybody is having haunting flashbacks to Seth Rollins and The Fiend. The lights turn red. Wait, you like semi called this. Well, I, I mean, I saw the red light on Friday and I just wondered, oh, okay, are they going to have this throughout the entire match? They did not have it throughout the entire match, but they saved it for a very special moment here. Probably not there by accident. The lights turn red. Balor's music starts playing as Finn Balor comes to life. So, so even, yeah, as he's coming to life. So, so they really just play his entrance over like verbatim including the song and including the heartbeats that start the, the, the entrance and Balor as the demon in sync with the heartbeats does like, having convulsions on the floor. He like, he was being given CPR by his entrance. Um, it was remarkable. And I think ridiculous, remarkable and ridiculous. He just pops up. Um, He's got flower power and Balor sends Reigns into the ring. He climbs to the top rope and the rope snaps and the demon has a potential knee injury. The lights come on. It's like, it was like last call at the club and everyone's got to go home and Reigns spears him for the victory in 19 minutes and 41 seconds. Pat McAfee, who is just like, complete whatever goes through his mind comes out of his mouth. What the hell just happened? What Bush league? And then he cuts himself off before he finishes that sentence before he calls us a Bush league operation and reigns retains. Um, they saved this for the end. Cause I don't think there was any following this. Um, again, it was to me having these back to back was just, we have such an aversion to beating anyone that we have to come up with, you know, you can, you can stomach the, uh, like a run in spot. This one was, um, I, I, I think mean, you they, need, they I probably mean, spent a lot of time thinking about this, but yeah, it was, they should have. Cause I, I, to me, the biggest question coming into this, this, this match was how are they going to protect the fiend coming out of it? Because we know Roman is going to have to win. Uh, but also the fiend is like a well-protected gimmick at this point. And this is the fiend's first match. And like, what, two years or something like that? They, they shelved this gimmick for a long time to bring it up for this, right? So you can't just have, I think, a straight loss. Um, <laughs> I did not expect them to go the route that they did. I mean, I'll say, unlike the Charlotte Alexa finish with that supernatural element, I do give them credit for being creative here and coming, coming up with a unique way to create that distraction. Did it work? I think the crowd actually really got into the red light when it started. And more importantly, Balor, when he finally came to and got aggressive with the chair, put Roman through the table, they were with him for that. The humping, that that was ridiculous. That that was um, just silly. And then the rope break, I mean, it was just more of a what-the-fuck moment. And definitely, of course, you know, deflated the crowd, as you would expect anyway. Um I I at least hoped that they would have given us an explanation before the end of the show, but it looks like we're going to have to wait until Friday for that. 
And they have to give a credible explanation for this. I hope this is not something where we just we're moving on to our next programs, including Finn, who will look like a total chump if he just moves on from this. Um, well, I'm just thinking how Brock ties into it. You know, like how how did like Brock was on the ring crew. Brock was on the ring crew. Okay, I don't know. He's he timed it so that it would break right at this moment. The man hit the coup de grace five minutes earlier. Yeah, so I don't know. Maybe, um, uh, maybe Brock maybe he was, was too powerful for the rope with his supernatural comeback. It could be. Yeah, I don't know. But uh, they're gonna have to come up with a hell of an explanation for something like this. And you know, the match I thought I thought was for it was a very WWE. good match. I mean, yeah. I, whatever the finish. I think there was a time and a place where you would have been much more uh, critical and upset about a finish like this. I think 2020 was a watershed year for <laughs> WWE when it comes to like, dude, this is extreme rules. Last year was the horror show where a man's eyeball rolled across and we had to hear Samoa Joe proclaim the eye is out at that point. I mean, you almost sound silly getting too worked up over yeah. this. It's a this totally is- different level of what you're going to take. And I think at most you're mildly amused at the lengths that they will go to, to avoid pinning somebody. Um, mm-hmm. And you're just kind of absorbing. Was it a good match? And the finish, if it's great, good. And if yeah. it's not, like the finishes are what they are. It's a mistake. It's a mistake to judge a show like this by the same criteria as you would judge a G1 or or even an AEW show. It's it's a it's a different audience, and I I think you ultimately gauge whether or not it works in front of this crowd. I mean, for as much as I think you and I might hate that Lily shit, like uh, Lily was over tonight you know, to this audience. And I think for a moment they did get into the red light stuff as ridiculous as it was. Um, you know, so uh, I, I wait to see how they explain it. I thought it was a little unsatisfying that we didn't end the show with one, but overall I had very low expectations going to the show, John, especially after watching the TV and knowing that, you know, all that was to come later, but like all WWE pay-per-views in ring, these always tend to deliver, Finishes aside, I thought there were some really great performances from everybody in this card, and this was an excellent crowd as well. So, you know, if you are somebody who is into watching these shows, hoping for, like, satisfying storyline conclusion, you could probably skip this show. It is a B show, everybody. But if you want to watch, like, just the solid wrestling belt up between the stories and and all that, I thought this was a great time. Uh, I, I thought, like, it was a show that... The three hours did not drag to me. Um, I will be critical about some of the finishes. I think it is completely fair to compare it to other wrestling products, if if you so choose. I I don't know how these kinds of things, uh, you get a finish like this, is that inspiring people for uh, future shows like this? Like, do you think that this did favors for the demon character? And to that, I would just question... If, if this was the extent that we had to go to protect this demon character, uh, did we need the demon character on this? Could we have built, instead of the TV finish, to doing Finn Balor on this show as the so what would you have done for the set TV? up last month? So what would you have done for the TV finish if you wanted to do that match then? I would have said that this is headlining my next pay-per-view and I will find something else for these 20 minutes of SmackDown while I build up Finn Balor for the next pay-per-view. I mean, they clearly wanted they clearly think the demon is a more marketable pay-per-view headliner. And uh, unfortunately it also, but comes now you beat him. So what, what have you accomplished by that? 
you got people potentially interested in the main event on a pay-per-view. That's what you accomplished. I'm looking beyond this, though. Well, who knows when they'll use a demon again. I'm sure, like, you know, by the time that happens, um, maybe... I mean, I don't think they'll do demon and reigns again, you know? Like, so I I don't think it, you're in as any danger next time around. Like, demon will pro- hopefully win his next program. But, um... Does I, he stay on SmackDown? Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure. He just came back, it feels like. So, I I think he could probably stay. I don't know. I'm not really sure. But it's like... He, they don't, I don't think they see Finn Balor as a champion. You know, I think they see him as sort of like a type that can be a, an opponent for a Roman Reigns uh, for one particular month. Vince seems to love the demon enough to at least want to put him on a B-show headlining uh, role. But and beyond protect that, him too. Like this is their idea of protecting him too with this finish. They yeah. could have just choked him out. But beyond that, I mean, Balor, I think they see as sort of like, you know, slightly above like a Kevin Owens type of role. So... This is maybe the most you'll get out of him, main event-wise. All right. Well, let's open up the phone lines. We will get a reaction to Extreme Rules and whatever else you would like to discuss. There is a lot going on, a lot of big shows over the past week, and yeah, we'll be a- taking feedback. Anything that you guys want to talk about, whether it be AEW, Dark Side of the Ring from this past week, you know, ratings, even the UFC. I don't know if, John, you had a chance to, to watch any of it yet, but the G1's going on. Uh, WWE, if you want to talk about that, whatever is on your mind, open phone lines for the rest of the show. Let's start off here with Hansi. Hansi, what's going on? Yo, what's going on, man? Um, yeah, no, the this ending of the pay per view would have been something as like a ten year old kid. Like I would have like gotten nothing. Like you know, what I mean, it reminded me. It kind of reminded me of like when Yokozuna shoved Undertaker in the casket, and he kind of. But I mean, they actually gave you kind of a payoff for that, right? But like, I, I don't know. I just. The pay-per-view I enjoy, I, I enjoy these shows as one-off. Just if you kind of, like, you know, don't, like, you know, watch the regular show, like, the shows regularly, and you just happen to watch it once a month, I, I mean, these shows come off great one-off. I liked most of the matches. I thought, uh, the, uh, I thought, you know, it's every match, I thought that the first three matches delivered perfectly for me, and, uh, I don't know, I just, I wasn't crazy about the, the Sasha ending, but, I mean, it was still a good match, but, um... I just want to say before I get to AW AW week, I just want to say your you, you guys' topic about the the uh, Montez Ford. I, I get because the WWE doesn't you know they make tag teams feel inferior. Like if you're not like a part of the main event, then like everything else the divisions are inferior. So I could see why people would want Montez to uh, to like you know go singles. But like I know WWE probably won't do this, but I would prefer if like they did it like a Briscoe style, like like you know how Jay Briscoe got elevated. But he was still with the tag team, so kind of elevate the tag team while Jay Briscoe still the main eventer. Even you know what I mean? Like I, I just feel like breaking up this tag team right now. It's like because like they need like legendary tag team, but the problem is that like it's not AEW where they're prioritizing tag teams. So so I can understand why people want you know um, uh, Montez to like go singles. Like I want to go singles too, but I just don't want him to get pushed too soon. And then it kind of ends up as a flop, but he did like amazing work. I'm not going to lie. And as far as, uh, AEW goes, I thought it was, uh, the Brian Danielson and Omega match, probably one of my favorite matches like of the year. I mean, I'm, I'm not gonna say the best TV match. You know what I mean? It can't compete with Shawn Michaels and Sean Cena in 2007, the hour, but like, I, I really, I really, I really dug this week. I thought I like that rampage dug, uh, 
uh, was good with the angles while the dynamite felt like a pay-per-view. And I just, I really thought like overall it was a pretty good, uh, a pretty good show. And uh, I got the thing that, that I didn't like though, is that I read the spoilers of the, the, the top American top team stuff. Right. And in the spoiler, they said that they roughed Tony Khan up a little bit at the entrance. And I thought if you showed that part of the beatdown as well, like even just like for a minute like or a second or so, I thought that would have uh, skyrocketed that angle up. I, I don't know why they didn't show it, but I, overall, I did like that there was a payoff to the American top team. But overall, I liked everything about uh, Dynamite. You know what I mean? I just Omega and Danielson, that's going to probably be on everyone's year-end list. And I'll just leave you guys with that. Sorry for rambling on. Thanks, Hansi. Um. Yeah, so first first off, he was talking about like uh, Montez Ford and I think like Hansi just kind of talked about all the points that for the reasons why they'll probably do it. You know, this is not a company that... Mm, They're not building up career tag teams or yeah. legendary tag teams. I mean, tag teams are a vehicle to create singles acts at the end. Yeah, and as far as like, you know, maybe concurrent, um, like uh, him, uh, Montez Ford going on a singles run, maybe challenging for for titles while still being a part of a tag team. They can do that. They just did it with the New Day. But I mean, ultimately, if you're not going to re-tag them from time to time, then you know, w- w- kind of. I mean, they can they can do anything. Like let's say maybe the Ford goes for the world championship while Dawkins goes for like the U.S. or something like that. Uh, it's it's possible, but it just doesn't seem like to be their style. Um, but. You know, anything can happen, I suppose. It could also be like the two of them programmed together. I mean, it could also be of great value to them. That's the thing is like they typically like to break them up because they think it's of equal benefit or at least to start off to both guys. You know, like rather than having one person be viewed lower than the other person, both of them are going to be at least starting off at the same level. Or that's the idea, at least. Let's go up next to Brian. Brian, you're on. What's going on? Hey guys, another great show. Um, first off, shout out to all the other One Milk, One Sugar patrons here. And an additional shout out to you guys for the fun G1 coverage and the very thorough coverage of Dark Side of the Ring. I've uh, been enjoying that a lot. Thank you. And uh, speaking of Dark Side, I don't think Ric Flair was part of FMW, so I think he'll be safe this week. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I could be mistaken. Um, and also, speaking of the G1, uh, Zack Sabre Jr. has been probably my favorite guy going today, going back a few years. Uh, even as Danielson is getting back into the swing of things, great match by him on Wednesday, anyway. Uh, but Sabre, just I just want to, I'm not sure how long this run of his in the G1 is going to last. Uh, it's probably wishful thinking that he'll win his block, but uh, well, he's, he's already just, won the title shot. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's guaranteed. The, yeah. Yeah, like, and when you're looking at um, whether they do a title match in November uh, because they've got the Osaka show or how creative they have to get with these three Wrestle Kingdom nights, like he's pretty much made from these three wins with one over Takagi already. And this is kind of the pattern of the guy that gets off to the hot start and then kind of fizzles at a certain point. But I mean, he's, he's his stock to me has increased already coming out of this and, and what they have in store. Yeah, especially with the Jay White and Will Ospreay uh, out of Japan right now, uh, or in the U.S., and I hope he gets remembered for uh, best on promos by the end of the year. 
Um, hey, uh, just on that note, I mean, the Danielson yeah. build, I mean, seems to like, you know, be pretty direct from both of them, or at least, you know, oh, in, yeah. in the interviews that we've heard this week. And so it just like makes me wonder, like, are are we going to be, are we close to getting that match for the both of them to actually be calling attention to it, including Kevin Kelly on commentary today? And if so, like, where would that take place at the moment? Not, not in Japan anytime soon. Yeah. If, and is, would that come to the U.S.? I don't know. Would AEW come to England? Um, but uh, yeah, as for uh, as for tonight, uh, Extreme Rules exceeded my expectations. It, I mean, it had circus shit at the end, but it blew away last year's Extreme Rules, which I thought was the worst show I saw last year with all of its bullshit. But um, yeah, just a lot. These guys have their working boots on, and ladies. And uh, Peacock, on the positive side, uh, for me, had actual playback feet controls tonight which was uh oh that, that wasn't was, there prior uh was was it no, there, there for summer slam or tonight was when it uh it was the first was time added. i saw it tonight okay yeah not sure if it was on SummerSlam uh because i didn't check but uh yeah the uh the the early technical mishaps were more annoying than anything but they cleared up pretty fast it's like the english com- commentary feed being invaded by the french at the start of the pay-per-view <laughs> so so uh, that's all. How, I got. how long did that last for, Brian? When did that get clear? Um, well, in the kickoff, it lasted for most of Liv versus Carmella with the Spanish feed, and then with the uh, the opening of the pay per view with the French feed, that was only for I think it cleared up by the time AJ and Omos came out. Okay. Yeah. So mm. that's all. I, that's all I got. Thanks again for the show, and uh, way I hope you enjoyed your honeymoon. I did. Thank you very much, Brian. All right, let's go up next to Rory. Rory, what's going on? Hey, you going, guys? It was a very, very energetic show. The crowd was good. Um, and on the switching, switching gears, as Michael Cole likes to say, um, uh, the update with the potential of an AEW England show, uh, the uh, Craven Cottage is the Fulham Football Club's uh, home ground. That is going through a massive upgrade right now. Like they're doing a huge upgrade. Uh, that might be finished within, say, about three to four months. Um, so that is that is, and that's where uh, Tony Khan will want to have it. And uh, I think he's just waiting for all that to get finished, and then he'll do a massive show over in over in Craven Cottage, over at the Fulham FC Club uh stadium um so yeah just just an update for for that like it's going through a massive re- revamp um in terms of like i uh in terms of what i've seen uh, from the finish of um uh of of the finish of tonight's show not many people are happy not many not, not many people are enjoying it they they're just like ah this is the wwe we we know uh, and not necessarily love and um yeah the they were just really annoyed, like the whole Finn Balor's music playing the whole time. That was a bit off-putting. That was a bit distracting to a lot of people and to me. Um, but yeah, I it's it's a shame. Like uh, it was it was a it was a pay-per-view of like really good matches. Just some of the finishes not really not really hitting the mark. And a lot a lot of like I don't want to call it out, but like a lot of a lot of botches. I saw a lot of botches happen tonight it was a very very sketchy show that way so uh i i don't know how in- uh, i didn't think it was anything more than usual in fact like i thought many of the matches held up like 
I don't know. Yeah, like, just just a couple of weird spots, like like Jeff Hardy going onto his head with the backbreaker spot from Sheamus. You get and, you get that on every show. Yeah, I, I just like AJ Styles with uh, with the, on the ropes there. That was a bit weird, a bit clunky, but um, yeah. But for for the rest of my day at two o seven p.m. here, I'm going to be catching up on, on a whole bunch of G one, and then tonight I'll be hearing all your G one coverage. So uh, going to be really really excited. And I've heard a couple of spoilers here today. Uh, but um, yeah, I, I'm I'm looking forward to it. It's it's going to be. I've heard so many great things, and um, yeah, really hope that Brian Danielson and Zack Saber Jr. I hope that happens by the end of the year. Hopefully, maybe I don't know. I, it's wishful thinking. Yeah, it's a it's it's a match that's gaining a whole lot of momentum, uh, especially over the past week. So thank you very much, Rory, for the call. Yeah, uh, so Rory mentioned uh, catching up on on, on the G one. If you're looking for recommendations of what John and I are into or what our excellent reviewers, Bruce Lord and also Mark Buckledy are into, uh, you can go to postwrestling.com slash G1. Under all of our show posts, we put uh, match recommendations for spoiler-free and also in uh, Mark and Bruce's uh, uh, reports, they do spoiler-free match recommendations off the top as well. So if you're not looking to catch up on all the usual matches, uh, this G1, you can stay clear. Okay, up next we go to Brandon. From New Jersey. Brandon, what's up? Hello. Hey. Hey, what's up, man? How are you? Hey, Brandon. <laughs> how you doing? What? In a while. What? Uh, hey, John. How are you, man? I haven't talked to you in a minute, oh, you, man. you didn't know he was here? <laughs> Wait. Well, I'm glad you're you're back from uh, from your uh, trip. Uh, you didn't get a new gimmick. Uh, I'm glad you're maintaining the, the same same gimmick as you left. <laughs> I'm not Ma- Master Ting. <laughs> the great the great oh something the great oh ting yeah I, i'm glad you didn't dye your hair blue either man <laughs> me too hey, uh uh shout out to the show uh I, both men and women they both worked hard tonight uh respect to both parties uh and uh, uh the, the interview or our show oh both no both both but uh because we worked uh, hard too I, I, I respect Roman and his uh, COVID protocols in Ohio because uh, it is a massive red state. And uh, <laughs> God knows that uh, I'm sure the, the liberals, the, the, not, the, the red snowflakes didn't appreciate that. But uh, Roman said, hey, I'm the big dog. I, 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 this, this company needs me and I got to wear a mask when I fight in the crowd. Right. I mean, hey, more, more people could take from from Roman Reigns initiative. Exactly, man. Uh, 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 that uh, the UFC last night, tremendous show. Uh, it was a great card. Nate Diaz, uh, I mean Nick, Nick. Diaz, uh, the combo of punches that he threw, uh, impressive. I would have been tired after 15, 15 clips that he threw in that first round, <laughs> but he just kept throwing and throwing. Uh, uh, but I mean, for a guy that was gone for seven years, uh, like uh, CM Punk, he, uh, he 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 acquitted himself well. I don't know if. I, I mean, I guess you, you could put him in uh, another one of those type of matches with somebody, but uh, I, I thought he uh, acquitted himself well. I, I think he probably exceeded what people were expecting given the layoff. I mean, this was a much, I mean, you can certainly see the the shape he was in. It was, you know, not the same level of, of speed that Nick Diaz possessed in his prime. Um, but to your point, I think he acquitted himself well and, was also fighting an opponent that I think the matchmaking was the proper matchmaking to make, to make, like, I do not want to see Nick Diaz thrown in there against like Hamza Chimaev or somebody. Uh, 
I think that there is a level of opponents you could make for a Nick Diaz. Although, um, you know, what he said at the end, I, I don't know if he's, if he's um, desperate to fight again anytime soon. And I, I don't know how, like, there will certainly be an interest in him fighting again. But um, it was an entertaining fight. But I think people can see, like, where Nick Diaz is. And, you know, six and a half years from your last fight, that, that's a long time to pick up uh, fighting once again. I mean, I can't believe he wanted to fight Kamar Usman before this fight. <laughs> That'd well, be absolute insane. insanity. <laughs> he will never like, have to worry about that fight being presented to him. Um, I, I should not say that, to be quite honest. But um, I, I feel pretty confident we will not see Kamara Usman versus Nick Diaz. Although Kamara Usman should be begging for that fight. Oh, any big payday, I'll take. Uh, he, he would be, uh, he would be uh, crazy if he didn't say no to that paycheck. Uh, but, and and Volkanovski and uh, Ortega was awesome. I don't know how Volkanovski escaped those submissions. Like any normal man would have tapped. Like uh, it, that goes to uh, the heart of that man for uh, <laughs> not giving up. His there. heart was beating like Finn Balor's when the red light came on when he circling got out of those back, submissions. man. Yeah. Circling back, man. Uh, his heart was palpitating like like uh, like Finn's when when the beat when the beat dropped. Yeah, if if people want to go back, uh, round three of Volkanovski and Ortega and round one of Marlon Marias and uh, Marab Dvalishvili were two of the best rounds of 2021. It was incredible, those two rounds. And the main event was, it was a fantastic uh, title fight. Indeed, man. Uh, And and one more question before I get out of here. Uh, I apologize for hogging your time. Uh, I know you guys got better things to do and whatnot. And family line here, Brandon, come on. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, was Pat Tanaka worthy of a five-star match with with his Goldberg musical in him back in the day? Good night, guys. Good night. I didn't even hear the question. Consider yourself lucky. Let us continue. Uh, no more phone calls, actually. So oh. let's go to the forum, forum.postwrestling.com. All right. Tonight's uh, show, out of 10, our forum gave it a 4.73. Do you want me to start, John? That's very low, don't you think? Like, I, I mean, I, I, I think I a lot of—I think a lot of it's due to the 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 finishes and the ridiculousness of it all, and maybe which, just, which is fair. Like, you yeah, can be sure. very critical based on like the creative of of the the finishes and such. Um, you know, the wrestling was good, but I mean, it's was there anything that if someone missed this and said, "Hey, what do I have to see?" I'm not pointing you to any one thing. Like, will you get some enjoyment out of the show? Sure. There was nothing to me, which a pay-per-view, I think you are trained to expect that there are several key things that if you missed it, you will want to go back and see. So, I mean, I I do feel like we should start training ourselves to no longer call these pay-per-views. And and more importantly, not because of of what the fact that what they are, but more importantly, because we hold, I think, in our minds, this distinction of pay-per-views being these kind of destination events when these aren't anymore. This is another show. You know, it's a show where you get the focus of four weeks of programming that is leading you to this one spot. But but so is the the TV. it's it, exactly like you should not be viewing this in the same way you did in 1998, where yeah. this is the key revenue generator for the company. It's not. It's still, you know, their streaming deal is enormous, but it's this is a television company and that is going to take priority, especially when they're in a very close battle and TV is very important. So you yep. 
You are so, going to get shows like this. Conversely, you you will get stuff that like the big shows that will be treated like big shows. Yeah, yeah. WrestleMania, SummerSlam, like Survivor Series. I think those will still continue to be big tentpole events. But for an Extreme Rules, you're not necessarily always you know you're not going to get a big significant event happening um, because it's another show. You know, instead you're going to get things like Biggie cashing in money in the bank on a Raw. Instead, what you can, like at this point, be pretty much guaranteed to get is solid bell-to-bell uninterrupted action here on these shows because there are no commercial breaks. These people who are trained to be incredibly skilled to, at doing what they do can actually showcase themselves on these network specials. And and that's what I'm starting to just watch these shows to appreciate. All right, let's start with, uh, you want me to go, John? Sure. We go to Mark who says, we make movies, quote, by Vince McMahon. The finish to Balor Reigns would have been like 1995 Undertaker being revived with the urn from the edge of defeat against Yokozuna or King Mabel. When all of a sudden the giant R from Raw sign somehow just randomly fell over and crushed him. It's insane that people are defending the finish on Twitter as creative. Dipped into this match as my first WWE match in quite some time. The guys worked very hard and then that was the finish designed to protect the talent. Time to dip back out again. The WWE has fully become the Harlem Globetrotters as AEW rises to become the NBA. Both are basketball, both are successful, but how many Globetrotters games can the most hardcore of basketball fans watch? Fans also have to be patient and look at the long-term payoff when you have a finish like this because two years ago, everyone dumped on that fiend Seth Rollins Hell in a Cell match and now two years later, Seth Rollins on the Steve Austin show Gets to share how much he hated that match. So you got to give it time, <laughs> folks. So picture Finn Balor, who may have to be in a position to defend this in the coming weeks and months when he has asked about it. But one day he'll say, God, that finish did me nothing. What an awful idea. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think especially with um, our audience and I would say maybe a majority. I mean, they they just want great wrestling. It's really not that complicated. Um, but and, and a lot of times your opinions will not differ that much from the wrestlers themselves that are involved, that are not mm-hmm. in a position to be so vocal about it. But in time, more often than not, your opinion will mesh with the people directly involved because they are invested a whole lot more than you and also have that that same reaction. Alexander from Portland writes, mostly good tonight. The tag match is delivered and WWE's consistency with quality triple threats is great. I'm still baffled by the Lily angle. Are we supposed to feel sympathy for a doll? If Alexa hurries to shop WWE, she can buy a replacement for $29.99. The Lily angle in the final minutes of Finn and Roman made the show stink, but the ending to Becky and Bianca was bad too. After the bait and switch at SummerSlam, we get our big title match ending in a DQ. A triple threat will be fantastic, but with the draft coming up soon, it may not happen. I I really would be surprised if they're shooting this angle and then separating it. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, for a show called Extreme Rules, this show was neither extreme nor did it rule. I, I'm going to defend there. I do not need a uh, like six, seven matches full of weapons and tables matches and chairs mm-hmm. matches and stairs matches and every conceivable gimmick match we can muster uh, where we're drawing blanks and we got to cut guys eyes out of their heads. It's yeah. I was fine. Just one match extreme rules. Like I, Oh, we, we didn't get our, our chairs match. Where's the chairs match? <laughs> no shows ruined. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with you. Um, 
I mean, I think it, the the complaint from years past has been the fact that we just get stipulation matches for the sake of stipulation matches for absolutely no reason, and it absolutely just got to, it's it not off. like any feuds would have matured to have the big blow off match, save for maybe one. You would have mm. just been throwing stuff on top of matches that were just being like Sheamus, Jeff Hardy, and Damian Priest would have been fighting in an Irish pub instead of the ring. Finally, we got a Kate from Montreal who says, For a stretch, it seemed like Extreme Rules was going to be a better-than-expected show with some entertaining matches, but WWE stepped up to shoot themselves in the foot. Sasha causing the disqualification now means that rather than facing whoever won, she's going to be in a three-way match where she could lose without being pinned. Thing is, I want to see all three of these women fighting each other, so I was willing to look the other way. Until... I do not ever want to hear criticism of the AEW botched explosion again. That was a mistake. Tonight we got... <laughs> Tonight what we got was a decision. The whole Roman Balor program has been a waste of time with an obviously foregone conclusion. They might as well have just let Roman squash the demon and be, be done with it. He wouldn't be in any worse a position than he is now. Just put him in a box-like structure and send him back to NXT. On a more serious note, Roman putting on a mask to brawl until the crowd worries me. Balor didn't have one, so it's clearly something that was done specifically to protect Roman. If his immune system is fragile, fragile enough that he can't risk getting close to the crowd without a mask, he shouldn't be going to the crowd at all. You, you can't assume that, Kate. You know, we have, we have no idea what the reason is why Roman is wearing a mask. Um, we uh, He's been a part of those. Has he been a part of the vaccination ads? Was he? Um, I, Do I don't know off the top of okay, my head who, who's whatever. in and who's not. So but I, I, again, like, yeah, I don't think you can speculate on, like, it could simply be that, hey, um, I don't know if everyone in this crowd is vaccinated and I'm uncomfortable doing so. I would it, feel uncomfortable. It could be the request of his wife because he has children at home. Like, it could be simply because he, like, he personally feels more comfortable. I, I don't think you can make any, you know, assumptions about his, the state of his health based on what we saw. Um, and I also disagree that, like, this whole Roman Balor program has been a waste of time. I mean, they built to a pay-per-view, you know? Like, maybe if you could—I would argue that it created time. It filled time. That, to me, was, was the intent. They have all these pay-per-views that they need to main event for, and this month they felt like Finn Balor was a tool, a character that they can use to fill that spot. And they did. I, I think where they did run into some of that was— they want to get a certain amount of promotion out for Brock and Roman Reigns. And that by announcing that when they did, I, I think like, yes, this does just feel like a, a lame duck uh, match that they're doing and that they were not going to interrupt that Roman Reigns Brock match. And for whatever reason, they wanted to announce that match when they did. And they probably had certain obligations of why that match had to be announced when it was, as opposed to just announcing it now once Extreme Rules is out of the way. That's the big match they've been building to, and it was obviously not going to happen on this show. It's happening in Saudi Arabia. Yeah, do we see Brock this? Well, we do. Brock's going to be on Friday with the draft, yes, right? Yes, he will be there for the draft they have announced. So, yeah. yeah, they've loaded up SmackDown, which has the draft. Brock, Edge is appearing to confront Seth Rollins, and um, and then whatever comes out of night one of the draft. So it will be a, it'll be a pretty big episode of SmackDown. And who broke the rope? The who big broke question. the rope? Um, it, it is important that Finn Balor has some follow-up here because there's nothing worse for a babyface than being humiliated or put in a spot like that and then has to be booked as though they don't care and they're just moving on to life after this program. Like, he 
need some kind of care after that kind of a finish. Yeah, agreed. Okay, well, thank you to all of you that uh, stayed up with us tonight for the Extreme Rules post-show. We have a lot coming up this week. Wayne and I will be back on Monday night with Rewind to Raw. Are you going to feel a little empty Monday morning way with no G1? No. You kidding me? You're not going to be like, oh. No, I listen. I, I always come out of the, these G ones enjoying uh, the hell out of like one one or two of these matches, but um, I'm not going to miss like waking up early just just to watch, watch that and do a show. There's a lot of G one shows coming up, but uh, none Monday or, or Tuesday. So the whole schedule will be up at postwrestling.com. And I do want to uh, once again just mention uh, we we had a lot of great coverage on the site over the past couple of days. John Pine doing reports on both. GCW shows, uh, uh, Karen Peterson doing a phenomenal rundown of the Stardom Grand Prix final uh, from Saturday, Uh, Cubs fan from Lucha Blog reviewing the CMLL anniversary card from Friday night, Eric Marcotte and Phil Chertok doing an amazing job on the UFC 266 post show. I really enjoyed uh, those two going through the card and Eric doing double duty, also getting a report on the 266 card. Uh, We have so many talented people on this site, so go check out their work. In their own section. They demanded it. Way made it happen. We now have a show report section on the website. Way called up Sweden. We got it done. <laughs> this has been a year in the making. Uh, thank you, Way, for making it so accessible now for to see all these great reports, uh, which continue with the G1 with Mark Buckledy and Bruce Lord. Oh, my God. It's about time. Yeah, we're so honestly so honored to have such a great network of people helping us, uh, not just on the podcast front, but now, uh, you know, for a long time on, on the written front as well. So go check it out. All right. That is it for us. Thank you to everybody for listening. And we will talk to you Monday night after Raw.